0: Anything man-made can be destroyed. Any human institution may one day simply be no more. What we put together, we can take apart. But the church is not man-made. It is institutional, but not an institution. And it has been put together by the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, thus making it ultimately immune To those who desire its destruction. The Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible you thought you knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. In this week's podcast... I am going to do a sermon that I preached at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church. The sermon is called A Rock and a Hard Place. It's based on two scriptures, Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 6, and the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I will read both of those passages before I do the sermon. Here is the text from Isaiah. Hearken to me, you who pursue deliverance, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were digged. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For when he was but one, I called him, and I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go forth from me and my justice for a light to the peoples. My deliverance draws near speedily, My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me, and for my arm they hope. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever, and my deliverance will never be ended. And now the text from the Gospel of Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that after they die, they'd like to come back as someone else? Perhaps you've expressed the same sentiment. A weekend hacker wants to come back as Tiger Woods. A person who has struggled in school wants to reappear as Einstein. An artist with modest talent yearns to re-embody Monet. Even a successful entrepreneur thinks about returning as Bill Gates. Anyone who's ever tried to become a rock star using a garage as a studio wonders what it would be like coming back as Elvis. That's on the assumption that he's actually dead. Do you see a pattern here? Everyone wants to come back as someone famous. Seldom do you hear anybody say, I'd like to come back as Mr. Ordinary who lives down the street. No one pines to come back as John or Jane Doe. Just who is looking to show up as old what's-his-name or Mrs. whatchamacallit. Fame, fortune, adulation, that's for us. We may have missed out in this life, but by gum we'll launch onto it in our transformed state. It's glorious to contemplate, aside from the fact that the world will be inundated with Elvises, Hugh Hefner's, Napoleon's, Demi Moore's, Oprah's, and the like. We're just never satisfied. At least we're not satisfied with being who we are, especially if we don't get at least at some time our 15 minutes of fame. This little vignette in today's gospel lesson put me in mind of our apparently deep desire to see ourselves in grandiose terms. But there is a twist in the gospel story. According to the disciples, Jesus already had attained an impressive reputation. It's hard to imagine his not being satisfied with it. When he asked his inner circle of disciples what the speculation was about his identity, the answers the lads came up with were most flattering. Some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that's not bad. He was a prophet. He attracted large crowds. He generated extraordinary interest. He proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God to the masses. He had a successful baptismal ministry and he introduced the man he insisted was none other than Israel's Messiah. John the Baptist may have been no Julius Caesar, but he was hardly a nobody. One might have thought Jesus would have been quite pleased that folk put him in the category of the fiery preacher from the desert. But no. Still others were convinced that Jesus was Elijah. Wow. That's even more impressive than the first option. He too was a prophet, but one with a much greater pedigree. He was involved in any number of miracles. He took on the prophets of Baal and came out on top. Before he departed the earthly scene, he anointed Elisha, who went on to become famous in his own right. Elijah even died with unprecedented fanfare and special effects, checking out in a flaming chariot. His was a hard act to follow. Surely Jesus could be forgiven a little pride by being compared to Elijah. But no. Yet another group saw Jesus as a latter-day Jeremiah. This great prophet presided over Israel's exile to Babylon, preached fervently right outside the doors of the temple, was given to the most colorful and provocative of prophetic images and metaphors, indeed, eventually, he had a whole prophetic book named after him. Jeremiah is a part of a who's who of Old Testament prophets. Jesus should have been tickled to be identified with this Israelite icon. But no. Actually, Jesus scarcely pays any attention to this galaxy of biblical stars. He has a more penetrating question to ask, one he puts directly to his disciples. But who do you say that I am? The opinions of the masses are one thing. What the inner circle thinks is quite another. Avoiding any embarrassing pause, Peter volunteers as though he is speaking in his colleague's behalf. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter gets an immediate messianic blessing for his stellar answer, but just as immediately is informed by Jesus that that answer could only have been divinely revealed. Peter can't take too much credit. Jesus' identity as Messiah or Christ and as Son of the Living God is not something at which one guesses or takes a stab or considers as an intriguing possibility. This is a function of revelation. Identity on this scale comes straight from God. Peter's confession was spot on, but it was a matter of revelation, not insight. Jesus then takes this naming business to a new level. Given Peter's revelation-induced response, Jesus focuses on his disciples' name to move the conversation up a notch. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, so that the gates of hell will not defeat it. This is an abrupt transition. Jesus has moved from a question about his own identity to an emphatic assertion about the disciple to whom God had revealed that identity. Clearly, there is an inexorable connection between confessing Jesus as Christ and Son of the living God and Jesus' ability to build his church on those who, at God's behest and led by God's Spirit, make That same confession. Granted, Jesus is making a pun based on his disciples' name, for Peter means rock. The rock on which Jesus will build his church is a person, even a person who represents all other persons who make up the foundation which Christ establishes for his own church, the very body of Christ. Further, just as Peter's confession is a derivative of divine inducement, so Jesus' building of the church is rooted in divine power, which is why all the forces that could ever be arrayed against it, in this case symbolized by the gates of hell, will be unable to dismantle what Christ builds. Anything man-made can be destroyed. Any human institution may one day simply be no more. What we put together, we can take apart. But the church is not man-made. It is institutional, but not an institution. And it has been put together by the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, thus making it ultimately immune to those who desire its destruction. Being part of the church means being part of something much bigger, much stronger, and much more durable than anything we could ever manage. The gates of hell have been relentless in their assault. The church is battered, bruised, buffeted, but not bowed, and not ultimately broken. That's because it's not my church or your church, it's Christ's church, Constructed on a rock of his own choosing and making. This identity business is serious. And this pun is a serious pun. Granted, some puns are not serious. Those are the kinds that make us groan and roll our eyes. But the pun Jesus employs is deep, multifaceted, and complex. That's because in the biblical tradition, the word rock is replete with nuance depth and texture we saw that in the isaiah passage which also has to do with god's community called israel in the old testament and israel and the church in the new the isaiah reading is in the context of god's community in exile god's community racked with fear that it is broken beyond repair god's community under divine judgment, and wondering whether God's grace is sufficient to restore. Note the prophet's admonition in this setting. Listen to me, you who pursue what is right, who seek the Lord. That is quite standard. This is prophetic diction designed to elicit attention. But the next imperatives are little short of stunning. Look to the rock. From which you were dug, to the excavation quarry from which you were hewn. That's a strange metaphor at first blush. A rock is inanimate, material, presumably lifeless, but it's also durable, unpenetrable, solid, impervious, fixed. There's a reason we sometimes lament that we are between a rock and a hard place. However, there are times when either a rock or a hard place is an image of the most positive sort. A well-known insurance company symbolizes its reliability with the Rock of Gibraltar. If you want a superior pickup truck, you want one that's quote-unquote like a rock. We covet friends who are solid as a rock. That's the idea in Isaiah. But there's more. The rock from which the people were cut and the quarry from which they were hewn are also represented in Father Abraham and Mother Sarah. These were the folk which God called, blessed, and made many so that God's community would be a light to the nations and a beacon reminding all about what God was doing in the world. At precisely the time when the people were floundering, wondering about whether they had a future as God's people, were mired in judgment, the prophet told them to look back. Look back to the rock and quarry from which you were made. Look back to the ancestors who received God's original nudge. Look back to what God once did and by all means can do again. Somehow, we've become convinced that prophets are radicals, innovators, folk who insist on pushing the ethical or theological envelope. But in biblical terms, the prophets are reformers who demanded that the people once again realize how God constituted them and why God constituted them. God's community loses sight of its future when it loses sight of its past. God's community has a shifting and unreliable foundation when it neglects its original, divinely constructed foundation. God's community is in serious jeopardy when it opts for sand instead of rock. But let's not lose sight of the heart of this gospel passage. Jesus called attention to Peter, the rock, but noted that he would build the church. We inhabit it, work for it, are identified by it, but we don't build it. Just as importantly, then as now, the church stands or falls on how we answer the question, but who do you say that I am? John the Baptist is nice, but finally comes short. Elijah is fine, but misses the mark. Jeremiah or one of the prophets is not bad, but is woefully inadequate. The church gets built on a rock when we confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our liturgy emphasizes that over and over. It's impossible to forget. Or is it? Do we say it but not mean it? Do we recite it but dismiss it? Do we sing it? but figure we have a better idea. There is no problem that the church under the Holy Spirit cannot solve when it is built on the foundation of what God has done through Israel. Remember Father Abraham and Mother Sarah and Jesus the Christ. But the church is in serious trouble when what we say about Jesus is not seen as crucial. Who do you say that I am? There is no more important question, and there is no more important answer. Rock or sand, those are our options. God's history or our best innovations and insights, those are our options. The biblical ancestors, biblical Israel, the Christ, the Son of the living God, or becoming a glorified service institution those are our options. Who do you say that I am? Amen. At the end of today's podcast, let me once again to remind you to go to my website, FASPINA.com, FASPINA.com, and put your email address there so that I have a way to communicate you when we start doing our mini-courses starting in September. Thank you. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless.